Name a career in which you may not have to worry about performance and still get paid, uh, besides the weatherman. Well, of course you expect your broker to perform well, but what if they put your money in the market and the market doesn't perform? 50% chance of rain or sunny skies. Is it time you learned how to keep your principal and protect your gains with a higher income strategy? That's why to tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Eric Hallaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour, featuring Arif Halaby, president of Total Financial Solutions, designing higher income strategies with a conservative approach, protecting your principal and your earnings while getting you reasonable gains and reliable income, making you confident of your retirement income planning. Arif Halaby has your answer. Welcome to the show. I'm Eric Halaby, the Total Financial Hour. You're listening to AM870, The Answer. I'm Eric Halaby, President and CEO of Total Financial Solutions right here in Southern California. Our job is to help you kind of get out of debt, manage money, plan for your retirement. Look, uh, do you know <laughs> that a student loan that you take out in the name of your child, and, and God forbid you have three or four kids that want to go to college and actually better their lives down that avenue... What happens? You might be stuck with it all the way through your retirement life. Now, this is pretty scary because for a lot of folks, they forget that uh, the student loan doesn't just go away when you hit age 60 or 65 or 70 or when you say I'm retired or when you collect Social Security. It never goes away when it's called a parent plus loan because it is attached to you. And what we're finding over and over again is parents are getting to this place uh, out of the goodness of their heart, they think they're doing the right thing. They're getting to the place where they say, okay, kids, we're going to have you retire or we're going to have you go to school. Uh, I'm, I'm 52 years old, right? Maybe your child is 17, 18, 19. Great. Life is good. Everything is doing what it's supposed to do. And they go off to college. Now, some go to trade school. Let me tell you, the ITT tech model, remember that, the ITT tech? Uh, we were speaking about this as a, as a not so good model way back when, and here's why. Because consistently, you would sign up for a two-year or a four-year degree. And if for whatever reason you had to change halfway through, they didn't allow you to carry those credits to any other school. Most other schools would say, oh, that's mildly interesting. You have 60000 in student loan debt, but we're not going to allow you to transfer those credits. You got to start all over again. Uh, so in that model, people were stuck in many cases. In fact, we had a client who had signed up for a two-year computer programming uh, plan and after like the first three or four months, he said, oh, you know what? It's not for me. They said, it doesn't matter. You're going to have to pay the $10,000 whether you start, finish, continue, move to Zimbabwe. It doesn't matter. You're paying that $10,000. And so that's, in fact, what he had to do. So he said, oh, I'm just going to go back to school. I'll, I'll stay there. So he finished and then went to go work in his family's muffler shop. He said, I, I, I'm stuck on the hook for this $10,000. I might as well do it anyway. They're not going to refund it. Now, I share with you because ITT uh, Tech is now defunct. It's gone. Uh, but there are other models out there. So a couple of little things. I'm going to give you some mini checklists as we go. Number one on this checklist is to make sure that you do not have your kids sign up for programs where there is no refund of tuition or you are paying for tuition in which you don't have to uh, – it, 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 in other words, you are stuck. Here's a good example. You have a two-year cosmetology program. Great program, probably awesome. You sign up. After a few minutes, your child says, ah, it's not for me. Are you stuck paying that bill? You better not be because fine for the first three months or six months worth of classes or the first semester, whatever it is, but there's no reason you should pay for classes that they didn't take. That's number one. Number two is make sure that there is a transferable system. You might be stuck in retirement. You might be stuck having to say, hey, my kids are going to go to college. That's all exciting. But what about the transferable credits? What if we move? What if they decide the college isn't right for them? Well, here's some problems that I want you to be careful about. Make sure you do not end up sending your child to a college that is on an island. And I don't mean literally. Hawaii is a beautiful place. But I mean figuratively. It is on an island. Nobody else will accept its credits. Parent Plus Loans. How are Parent Plus Loans going to affect your retirement? We're going to cover that as we continue, but give us a call if you'd like at 866-870-5752. That's 
5752. Give us a call if you'd like to come on the air. You have a question about Parent Plus Loans, what it's going to do, how it's going to impact you in retirement. What can it do? Uh, what are some of the outs? Because we have some interesting strategies, I think, here that we'll cover here in the next hour of how you can keep yourself from uh, being on the hook for this um, plan, if you will, whether or not your child graduates. So what if... They attend an amazing school, an amazing four-year university. They get in, work hard, they get grants and scholarships. Here's a trick that a lot of the universities do. Number one is they will give you lots of student aid and scholarships the first two years. Why? Because the competition for them are community colleges. So they know you can go to school for $50 a unit down the street. And it's a transferable class. And it's probably even a better class in the sense that you have more help. Your, your students have a much better opportunity to get one-on-one instruction. The, the classes are accredited. They're quality. They're decent. So they know, hey, listen, we're going to bait you in. So as the choices get closer and closer to uh, a very limited amount of, of schools, junior year, senior year, they start pulling grants. They start pulling aid. They start pulling tuition assistance. And why do they do that? They do that because they think you're stuck. Well, they're here. And plus, as a student, you're going to go home to your mom and dad and say, what do you mean we can't afford it? Uh, but I have friends there. But I'm comfortable. I like the classes. I know what I want to do. I can, All legitimate reasons. But then, oh, by the way, mom and dad, you're going to have to take out a parent plus loan. What is plus? P-L-U-S. It stands for something. What it means is simply this. The student loan where the student normally has responsibility for the loan can only qualify for just so much of a, of a Stafford or, or subsidized, unsubsidized loans. We're not going to get into all of those at the moment, but there's only so much they can qualify for. So on the other side, what about your opportunity to say, well, uh, you know, we don't have a whole lot of money, kids. Well, make sure you do not take money from your retirement account. Borrow from your 401k, take money out of your IRAs, liquidate your retirement accounts for your child's college. Why? Well, first of all, 70% of these folks don't even go on to work in the field in which they got their degree. 70%. It's not my statistics. You have a question about Parent Plus Loans, student loans? See if we can answer it here at uh, 866-870-5752. That's 866-870-KRLA. All right, look, part of what I want you to do is to focus on your retirement options. When you retire, you really have just a couple of options. You, Social Security, maybe a pension if you're lucky. But student loans, your 25-year-old, hopefully by the time they graduate, they're at least 25, maybe earlier. They have 30 or 40 years of working to pay it off. So I don't want your students, to, to your, your kids, to, to take from a retirement, which might only last you 10 or 15 or 20 years, depending on when you retire and when you pass away, Right. I don't want that to have the burden where thousands of dollars a year are coming in the front door and going out the back. And now you're on a fixed income, so what do you do? Tough luck, they say. So be very careful if, you're, if your objective is to plan for your retirement and you're going to carry parent loans or student loans through retirement. Look, I, I, I know this. I have three kids. I'm a retired Los Angeles police officer. Might surprise some of you. Uh, almost 11 years, 10 years, seven months, and three days, but I wasn't counting. So almost 11 years as a Los Angeles policeman. I can tell you when I came on at the age of 21 uh, that it was an eye-opening experience for me. And I saw the, the hope of some people dashed. I saw gangs on the street, went through the riots and the earthquakes. It was a tough time. I've done uh, quite a few things. That's interesting, right? But for 21 years in the financial services world, 21 years now, what I have seen is a combination of those two worlds collide. And what is it? Your kids may have, uh, in some of these communities, may not have a lot of hope. I understand that. All right, fine. Today, there's no reason to to be stuck in that circle. None. With information available at, at your fingertips, right? Remember the old knowledge is power? Knowledge is power. Well, if it is, then you should all be kings and queens. Because it used to be, in the old days, 
look, my mom grew up on a, on a farm in Michigan. The way it worked was simple. Back in, in, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, right? What would you do? You would save up your money. You would send one child, usually the boy, but don't tell anybody. And you send one child off to college and you'd say, son, go find knowledge and bring it back. And you'd put, pack him up and you'd say, go. And off he'd go. And three, four, five years later, you check your watch. He comes back. He goes, let me tell you what I found. Oh my gosh. And when they would do that, they would come back and share things with you and hopefully make the community better. But you realize that system, for hundreds of years, we had a system of brick and mortar. We've had a system of, of high, high cost professors, I don't know, administrators. You can go online. Take a look at the University of California. Take a look at community colleges. Take a, take a look at College of the Canyon, the highest paid administration, not of any community college, folks of nearly any college in the country, some of the highest, if not the highest. That's a little scary when, when it's a state-financed and when kids attend, whether it's a community college and they get student loans, because sometimes they do to live, or whether it's a UCLA or a UC Riverside or UC San Diego, fine. I know it costs money to live, room and board, I got it. But when you have an entire administration and faculty, staff, everybody that is counting on you getting a student loan so that they can pay their salaries, and who cares if you got a degree in women's study of Eastern religions uh, of North Africa's uh, plains? Nobody cares. Is it employable? So I'm going to give you some solutions. I'm going to give you some challenges here. Some of the things that I found, when you as a, as a client and you go to your financial advisor, your insurance professional, your stockbroker, your, your anybody in the financial world that is helping you with your retirement accounts or with your planning or whatever it might be, you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. Are you paying the same kind of fees to an archaic, outdated system where there's such an infrastructure of costs and fees like, I think the brick-and-mortar school 10 years from now will not look the same. I, I, I think it's going to be done. I think student loans that are over $1.1 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars, with defaults nearing all-time highs as we speak, I think there's going to have to be a change. I think the online university, I think the ability for you to learn in a virtual setting, right? You've seen those goggles that people wear. What if you... What, what if you were actually in a virtual setting and you could communicate with the professor back and forth? What if you were in a setting and you could do it at three o'clock in the morning, you could do it at two o'clock in the afternoon, you could do it on a weekend? What if you had that ability? Should they charge you the same fees as if you were on campus using the electricity, uh, walking through, uh, trampling the roses and, and the bushes that they're going to have to replant and landscape, and you have a full team of... Look, UCLA has never stopped construction since the day it opened. Do you know that? It has always had construction. Why? Why is it that professors rarely show up in freshman English classes and still get paid. Look, I know this isn't going... Some of you are... are look, some of my clients are great uh, administration and faculty. So I understand. But you have to understand that the macroeconomic, things are going to change. What is an endowment fund? Well, that's interesting. I'm glad you asked. 866-870-5752. 866-870-5752. I'll tell you what it is. An endowment fund, very simple, very straightforward. People give money to the university and they say, hey, I want you to use this, but just the interest. Use it to invest, use it to make money, but take the interest and let's live off the interest. So if you make 5% a year and I give you $100,000 as a donation to Stanford or to Harvard or University of Texas, and I give you that money, I gave you 100000 you made 5%, that's $5,000 that they can use for anything. Okay, here's some math. Ready? I'm not going to get too complicated. But I want you to know this, especially, especially if you're thinking about sending your kids to, to a school with a huge endowment. 
Harvard endowment, bucket of money that stays there, it's invested, and it earns interest. Those interest dollars are in turn used to do what? There's $37 billion. They earned about 8% in the last 12 months. 8%. Hundreds of millions of dollars. They have enough money at Harvard's endowment right now to pay for 100 years every single student's tuition. In fact, today you can't get a student loan to go to Harvard. Harvard and Yale, and there may be others as well. I think Hillsdale College uh, is one of those, but for different reasons. Hillsdale allows you to work on the campus. Hillsdale College gives you the opportunity to have work-study programs. You're involved with the school. You're invested with the school, and you have to pay. I mean, you have to, right? If you're going to, be, if you're going to get a product, you have to pay for the product. Harvard Endowment, 100 years after so much public pressure, they finally have stopped accepting student loans. This is a few years ago, but, but it, they took your money, your taxpayer money that some kids can never afford to pay back. They took some of your money, parents, right? How prestigious for your child to go to an Ivy League school, Yale. That endowment is only $26 billion, slackers. Or, or here's one of my favorites. Stanford, bastion of, of a beautiful uh, Palo Alto, California. I've been there. It's beautiful. Know some of the folks there. Condi Rice, Condoleezza Rice. I think she was the, might still be the provost. I think she still teaches up there. Condoleezza Rice, Stanford University, $25 billion in endowment. And some of these universities with huge endowments, University of Texas, $24 billion dollars. What do they do with this money? They invest it. They own stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, annuities. They do. They earn six, seven, eight, ten percent, whatever they earn. They own buildings. And they take those dollars and they use it for what? That's what you have to ask. You're saying that I'm supposed to delay my retirement, in fact, even cancel my retirement because my child got accepted to Harvard or, or Yale or Stanford or Brown or Columbia. All of these are billions of dollars in, in um, uh, endowment funds. And you're saying so that I, I am a, a blue-collar worker, worked hard my whole life. My, my child did all the things they're supposed to do, stayed out of trouble, got good grades, went to school. And now they walk into a university system and they've borrowed money that they will have to pay back for decades. And you, as a retiree, are going to have to borrow this money and pay it back for decades, meaning you may not ever retire. So why do I share that with you? Because I had somebody in my office recently, this week, came in. $435,000, $435,000, a lot of money. Our minimum is, is $20,000. You can work with us for even less. That's fine. And it's not me. It's the companies that set it. So I'm giving you this as an example, right? $430,000. What does that mean? That means that's part of their retirement. They were uh, worked for a hospital system. So it was a, not a um, private entity necessarily. It was some, some level of private entity. But what were their fees? $14,000 a year. In fact, I'll give you the number, $1,178 a month. Now, they are both professionals, and they had kids that they wanted to go to college. And you tell me that an advisor charging $1,100 a month is somehow supportive of this person's retirement goals? Look, I get the system is is brainwashed a lot of advisors that way. Look, the first three or four years of my practice, right? 96, 7, 8, 9, 2000. We could do no wrong. If your advisor today is telling you, I got you a 16% rate of return. I got your accounts 26% growth in the last 12. You didn't do anything. You, you, you did the computer, got it. You filled out the forms. Okay, yep, yeah, that's something, I guess. You went through, you put the money in accounts, and then you went golfing. You took a vacation. Because look, if you are charging me money each month to manage my account, now, maybe it's taken out quarterly, it's annually, whatever. If you're charging me money to do that, and you are not delivering a product, and on the other side, I wanted my kids to go to college, and so instead of me 
paying for my child's college. I'm paying for my broker's kids to go to college. You tell me where that seems to be right. I hate the F word, fair, because it's so subjective. The word fair is just, it's a way and it's an excuse actually for oppression, but that's my own thing. (laughs) Tell me why the advisor's kids should go to college without student loans. Your advisor should take a great vacation. Tell me why your advisor should be able to retire before you. Why is that okay? Oh, Eric, if I only have a, a, a variable annuity. Great. Variable annuity. Wonderful. What are your fees? What are your risks? Oh, I'm only paying 3.5%. Well, 3 is a small number. Let's do net math. You don't go to the grocery store and spend percentages. You understand that? You go to the grocery store and spend dollars. So don't let your advisors play this trick game on you. It's 1.5%. We manage the thing for one and a quarter. Great, great, great. Give me the dollars. You know what used to happen is you would go every year, you'd meet with your advisor, you'd sit down, say, hey, how did I do? Well, hey, your account is up, you're down, you're this, we're going to move this around, great. And then he would say, and my fees are $1,600. You'd write a check for $1,600. Look, if I bought something, right, I'm giving $1,600, what am I getting back? I better be be getting something back. And if I'm getting, uh, look, if you charge me $1,600 and you made me $15,000, That's a fair deal. I'll do that every day of the week. Sign me up for that. But you don't get to charge a fee and lose money or break even. And the dollars in your account, this is so important. This is so important that I I need you to focus for just a second. Really? Ready? When you pay fees, they are cumulative. Last year's fees, the year before, this month, last month, add them up. You might have put in $100,000 $100,000 into an account. We had a lady, she put in $132,000 into an account. $132,000. Today it's worth about $146,000 or so. She's made uh, about $14,000, $15,000. Okay, not bad. $132,000, but, but why is it that the advisor's fees were over $20,000 in the last seven years? Seven years, advisor made. 20,000. In fact, it was like 23,000 and change. And the client made about 15, 16,000. Because the client says, I only pay a thousand, I don't know what it was, one and a half percent. I only pay about $2,000 a year. Every year, every year, every year. Oh, and then plus the company will charge a fee. By the time she was done, it was over $3,800 like a year, $3,800 a year in fees. You pay fees cumulatively. You bought something. Unless you're going to tell me, hey, I paid a fee on something and it went off to the side and I never pay a fee on those dollars again because you already made them for me. It's over. You did it. You did it. It's good. Done. Off to the side. So why would I pay a fee twice or three times or four times on the same dollar? You never do that with anything else. You, right? Let's talk about another asset. People go, oh, I have, I have a couple of assets. What? Oh, I, I own a house. Wonderful. If you've ever bought a house, it's gone up in value, right? It's gone up in value. You bought a house for four twenty-five; it's worth six fifty. You bought a house for five five hundred; it's worth a million. It's gone up in value. When you bought it, fees were taken out for your real estate broker in the in the transaction. You don't get a call four years later and says, "Hi, yes, hi, hello, hi, I'm from your local real estate agent. Remember me? I'm the one that sold you the house. Yeah, I understand you made three hundred thousand in equity uh, in the last four and a half years. Pay me a fee." You're like, "Are you kidding me?" But, but it's paper money. Same thing as your retirement account. You don't get to have paper money in your house and not paper money in your retirement account. If it's real money in your house, then great. Then why aren't you paying a fee? Because you know that's not right. That's not how it works. You bought the house. So why did Wall Street condition you to pay a fee? Just like student loans, that brick and mortar structure was there because we had to send our kids, sometimes for a two-day, three-day journey. We would send them off and we would say, hey, kids, you're going to go off and learn come back and bring us knowledge. All right, see ya. Good luck. You don't have to do that anymore. Knowledge comes to you for free with the free Obama phones. Remember those? 
I was out uh, visiting uh, the office. We have an office out in Lancaster. We have one in Glendale, one in Santa Clarita, Simi Valley. So we have a, a few offices. I was out at the office in the Antelope Valley, and I drive by a gas station, and they had a booth there. Lady with the easy uh, pop-up tent, a table, and a sign. It says, free phone. I'm like, are you kidding me? What does that mean, free phone? Yeah, free phone. Remember when you guys pay your phone bill, when you pay your, your cell phone bill, and you, you have to pay an extra little fee on top of that for the less fortunate to be able to get a cell phone? I, I don't understand. It used to be so that they could have a landline with one extension in their house. And today... You're now paying a fee so somebody else can have a free cell phone and go get free Wi-Fi at the local coffee shop. And they have access to every single piece of information under the sun. Why is that okay? So you need to check and see. If information now comes to you, why are you still paying Parent PLUS loans? If your financial broker is putting you inside of a computerized program they fill out a form, fine, I'll pay you a form filling out fee. They put you in a, in a mutual fund or a stock bond. And unless they're daily, hourly, minute managing it, why are you still paying fees like it used to be? We'll be back. You're going to be uh, joining us right here on the Total Financial Hour. Listen, stay tuned and give us a call if you have a question, 866-870-5752. I'm Arif Hallaby, President and CEO of Total Financial Solutions. You're listening to the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. Welcome back to the show. Total Financial Safer Money Hour. Your total financial hour. How do you how do you manage your financial life when you're ready to retire? How do you get to the place where you say, you know, I have responsibilities. I still want my kids to attend college. I still want to live a financial life. I still want to do the right things. Uh, how do you manage it all? Well, you're going to have to do a couple of things. Number one, you're going to have to make sure that you plan for these student loan uh, issues or the college funding way in advance. In other words, not just when they're two years old, but you have to make sure that you're doing it at a time when your kids are prepared to decide what school they want to go to. Here's a couple of solutions. Number one, I think a community college is your best bet, period. As much as I, I'm not happy about the pay that is paid to the administrators at, at local community colleges, because some of them are just off the charts, and they forget they're taxpayer-funded, Right? It's not a product that says, hey, listen, I bought a widget, made a widget for $0.10, cents, and I'm selling it for $0.20. Cents, right? It's not that. These are folks that, that are, are providing a service, and they're government employees. That means the only way they are paid is simple, from taxpayers. Other people have to sacrifice, work longer hours, uh, in some cases delay gratification, not buy the car, not be able to do the things they're supposed to do, so that their kids can go to college so that great pensions can be paid out to our university uh, staff and employees. So realize there should be a trade-off there. And I don't want you to be stuck in a situation where you say, well, either I retire or my kids can get a, a higher education. No, there are some chances, uh, some solutions to the, and choices. Number one, community college. May not be right for everybody, but I encourage you to figure that out. If you still have kids in high school, why don't you consider this? Consider having them take summer classes at the community college. They can go online and take classes uh, and dual enroll. It's called dual enrolling, where they are in a position to take a class. It counts as an AP course. And what it does is it gives them credit in high school at the higher level, at the honors level, and it gives them a chance to have class uh, and dollars set aside to, to offset their college, right? A couple of good choices. Second, so what if it takes six years with no student loan debt or something under ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000? So what? I don't care. Let her take six, seven years. I'd rather that than 20 years worth of paying back student loans. Here's, a, here's something we had recently. The... The student loans, okay, husband and wife, both of them were medical professionals. In fact, she was a nurse practitioner. He was uh, a foreign exchange student, came to the United States, uh, all undergrad degree, student loans, living everything. Then he applied to, to medical school, didn't get in, didn't get in, 
No problem. It's not easy. Not everybody gets in, especially because he put his first choice. But then the next thing he did is he said, oh, I'm going to apply and get my MBA. So he did. Got his MBA. A few years later, all on student loans. A few years later, applied back to medical school, got in, became a brilliant physician, right? All on student loans. Somewhere along the way they met, they fell in love, they got married, they had a couple of children. By the time I met them, 1.1 million in student loan debt. 1.1 million dollars in student loan debt. Two children, he's a physician, and she's a nurse practitioner. What do you do? Well, by the time they're done, their student loan costs just about $8,000 a month. Now, here's what is pretty important. It's not $8,000 a month. Even though that's what you have to write on the statement, you know, in the check and you send it in, it's not $8,000. You have to earn about eleven dollars or twelve because in that tax bracket, you have to pay about 35% federal and significant dollars. I mean, 13% state. So then you have payroll taxes and their employees, so they're not self-employed. By the time they're done, they have to pay about 55% in tax money. So what does that mean? That means they have to earn about twelve dollars or $14,000, pay it in tax, get the seven or eight, eighty two hundred, I think if I'm not mistaken, $8,200, then write a check for the $8,200. So that means $14,000 worth of income comes in the door. And by the time they send those dollars off to student loans, 25 years later, Now you go, oh, that's such an anomaly here. If that doesn't really exist. It does, folks, all over the place. Try to get a degree from any other place that you think uh, is prestigious, that matters. Fine. What do you do? You're going to be stuck. You're going to be stuck because you have no other choice. You think, oh my gosh, my child doesn't have a chance at success if I don't go into debt under a student loan or parent plus loan. That archaic system has to change. It has to change. I think smaller universities are going to close down. It's great because this stuff is archived, right? I've made predictions over the last 20 years, 15 years on radio, and it's there. It's archived. You can tell when I said, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. What were some of the things that I think are going to happen in the future? I think, number one, smaller universities are going to close or combine. You're going to see mergers happen usually because universities still have assets. The campus, uh, sometimes they, if they're a publishing university, they'll own or co-own some of the articles, the papers, the patents that are patented by some of its research staff, like UC Riverside does and, and uh, Stanford and some of those places, right? Where they co-own some of the things that are, are published by its folks. Now, now you're in a position to say, I'm ready to retire. What do you do? You're going to have to consolidate some of that. Because if you want to spend your own money, if your kids want to spend their own money on you know, the uh, mating habits of shrimp in the delta of the Sacramento River, great. Get your degree in so specialized where you know, four people are going to hire you. And you want to spend your money because it's fun and you, you want to learn? Wonderful. But don't spend taxpayer money on irrelevant. Now you go, wait, wait. Who is going to decide that it's irrelevant? Not me. Heaven forbid, not me. I think the marketplace. If the average wage of a job is more than, pick a number, $50,000, $100,000 a year at the fifth year after you've worked there for five years, then we're willing to give student loans up to a certain amount. That's the only way it's going to work. Because otherwise, you have taxpayers on the hook for people who have a degree in a field in which nobody wants to hire them, or the starting wage is 35000 a year, and that's the same you would have had just about had you had a high school diploma. You know, why is it that people get to the age of 65, nearly all of them are about the same? Dead, broke, or still working, right? 90%, 80%, and there's not really a huge difference. Now, I've seen studies, and they say this. You will make more than $1 million. I saw one recently, it said $2 million, more over your lifetime with a bachelor's degree than you will over a high school diploma. And it's something like $5 million more 
if you have a master's degree versus somebody with a high school diploma. Now, who do you think put those out? Probably the schools that want you to spend money to go to get these degrees. Nothing wrong with that. I think it's great. I think you have to learn. I think you have to go and, and uh, you know, figure out a little extra living in life and, and be on your own. And all those things are important. But where my problem comes in is this. When you're going through your financial life and you're now 52, 55, 60, and you're saying, hey, I still plan on working for a while. I'm okay with that. I'll work. I'm good with that. Except you're now paying back student loan money on a degree in which your kid isn't working in that field. And one, they're not getting a full-time employment. We, we've gone to these young people and we've told them, at 26 years old, you should still be on your parents' insurance. Um, really? At 26 years old, I was doing things different. And every time any of my friends or anybody that I know says, well, this is what I was doing at 24. This is what I was doing at 25. Everybody around them goes, oh, well, that's different. You're special or that's, that's a rare case. Well, it just seems to be rare that it's everywhere. I get it that there are some people that struggle. I struggled again when I was 30. Right? I, I told you I was a Los Angeles police officer. By the time I was 25, I had a bunch of money saved, about $150,000, I'll tell you. $150,000 saved. I was 25 years old. Pretty good, huh? At 26, I didn't get taken in one scam. I got taken in three. Over the course of about a year, nine months or a year, I was taken and lost nearly all of the money that I had saved up. And I thought I was a smart guy because, look, I'd been investing since I was 18. I thought I was a smart guy because look at what I had amassed and what I accumulated. I thought I was a smart guy in judging character, making sure people were good and not going to hurt me or my family. And by the way, police officers carry guns. And these people had no concern or fear of ripping off somebody. And they did. And so I said, okay, I'm 26, 27. I got to figure this out. I'm going to go back to school. So I did. 21 years ago, that's now at the age of course 28. You do the math. I'm 49, coming up on 50. What happened? I said, if I can get taken, how much more can you and others who are busy, who are good at what they do? You're good at what you do. Somebody pays you. What you never want is your broker or your financial advisor to tell you they're going to make you rich. In my opinion, folks, my opinion, if a broker tells you they're going to make you rich, I want to see your statements, Mr. and Mrs. Broker. I want to see your real estate holdings. I want to see your assets. I want to see your debt. I want to see your balance sheet and your profit and loss. Tell me everything about you, Mr. and Mrs. Broker. Because if you can't make yourself rich, how much less are you going to work for your clients? And if you're going to tell me that in fact as a broker, look, people should be paid for what they do. My only question is what are you doing? What are you doing with the money? I, I don't know. I gave it to you. You took a vacation. You went on, you golfed on Saturday. You, you went to lunch in the middle of the market. Listen, I gave you my money. Who's watching it? Oh, well, we have a computer program. It's very sophisticated. We have money managers all over the country. They're very good at what they do. Great. So then why am I paying you again? Oh, oh, oh well, because I watch it. and I'm at, Okay, then why did you go to lunch and take a vacation? Right? You see, it's a circular argument. You can't have it both ways. If I'm paying you and you're, you're watching my money, you're investing it, you're doing your research and you, you, great. But if I'm giving it to you and then you're giving it to somebody else so you can go get another client and you can go do what? What? Who's watching my money? Oh, Arif, my money is through retirement accounts at work, 401k. All of a sudden I sit around and I sit and go, My retirement accounts are at work, so they must be managed properly. Be very careful. Usually, there's two or three pretty good accounts there, right? You're going to check with your financial advisor. Make sure they're licensed. Make sure there's there's somebody that's going to sit there and review these accounts. And make sure they're the right ones, because there's probably 10 or 15, but there's only two or three that that are okay. And if your retirement accounts are going to go through your broker, just like your college funds are going to go, your, your, your college planning, student loans, are going to go through the university, is it in their best interest to get you out of school fast, to give you discounts, to get you to retire sooner? Because you see, when you retire sooner, you start pulling money out of your retirement accounts. And what happens when they charge you a fee on all of your retirement accounts? Uh, probably goes down, Right? 
not in percentages, but in dollars. It used to be that it was 0. 0.7, 0. 0.9, 1% was the management fee. Today, when people come to me, they're saying, um, hey, you know, we are finding one and a quarter percent. One and a quarter, that's a pretty normal number. And after the Department of Labor rule came out in June, we're all fiduciaries now. We have to manage the funds or, or uh, invest in annuities, whatever we do. We do fixed uh, accounts. We have to do it in your best interest. Got it. That's fine. Then why is it so important for the retirement world to make sure that we tell you how much we get paid? And don't fall for this trick, you guys. Ask them, what did you do for that? Okay, I get you're making money, but what are you doing every year? Because this is the same money that was in my account last year, the year before, the year before, and you got paid a fee on the same money over and over again. one 870 if you want to get on the show. We have a couple of uh, lines open. You can certainly uh, ask a question. We might have some solutions for you. Student loans, parent plus loans, what are some of the options? Don't fall for that trap, folks. 5000 10000 fine. Because your retirement is coming around the corner. The fees, the risk that you have in your retirement accounts, now you have retirement around the corner, and just at that moment in time, you're going to have an additional fee called a parent plus loan, and it just goes out the front door, never comes back. And now you're stuck in a place where you go, um, I thought I was going to retire and I have a house payment without the house. I have a vacation property without the vacation property called a parent plus loan, student loan. And my kid works part-time at the coffee store and, and uh, sleeps on my couch until noon, plays video games. And meanwhile, they have $37,000 in student loan money. What are some of the things you can do to help lessen that? Number one, don't get them to begin with. If you can help it, if it's not too late, don't get those student loans, the parent plus loans. Your kid wants to get loans, fine. Sit down and plan with them. They're not going to listen generally because they're bought into the whole college experience. And ask anybody who's five years or 10 years post-college and ask them, hey, do you think it's a good idea? Is it, has it turned out the $65,000 in student loan money? Do you think it's a good idea? Did it work out? You have the car payment without the car? Heaven forbid you have the, the uh, house payment without the house. So keep yourself from getting into trouble. All right, here's, a, here's another part I want to segue into. Remember we were talking about how many families uh, have student loans, the parent plus loans. Right now we're at 3.5 million families have parent plus loans, and that's $75 million. $75 million that went from your pocket as a, as a retiree or a potential soon-to-be retiree, and it went into the university's pocket, went into the college's pocket. It's like when you go to the store. Okay, follow me on this, because I think this is a great example. Three and a half million people. When you go to the restaurants, grocery stores, and you buy something, you say, hey, I'm going to buy, uh, I'm going to go shopping. Shopping cart full of great items. And the grocery store says $200. And you take out your Visa or your MasterCard or your American Express and you swipe it or now today put the chip in. What just happened? Visa took money from their pocket, MasterCard, et cetera, right? The credit card company took it from their pocket and put it in the grocery store's pocket. And the grocery store put it in their pocket, their bank account, and gives you the groceries. For that, they charge, let's just say, 2%. Okay, that's $4. So the grocery store only gets $196, but they gave you $200 worth of goods. Off you went. Now the credit card company looks back at you and says, okay, now you have to pay us back the $200. We gave them $196, but you're on the hook for the $200. But they charge you interest on that. In other words, the grocery store is done with that transaction. The school is done with their transaction. Once you are graduated, it's over. My solution is this. A school is going to have to be involved with you for a very long time. I think a school today, a university, a college, has to be the one that guarantees the loan. The only way it's going to work. You want me to take out $50,000 in Parent PLUS money? No problem then you better make sure that you're teaching my kid and, and she or he has to do what they're supposed to do. No problem. 
If she doesn't show up at school, my, my, my fault, her, her problem. If she doesn't do well on the test, fine. If she doesn't study, got it. But if she does all of those things, and, and you, you guys are the ones that said she got an A, or she got a B plus, or whatever, and she graduates, and now she cannot find a job, and you are the one that trained her and said that she's supposed to get a job, then why is it that I have to pay back these loans to this third party called the federal government, Visa, right? I now have to pay back the loans, and the school is off the hook. Next. Send me somebody else. Next. And now what? Now we're stuck in a position to where the school gets to just reap the dollars, pay amazing dollars out the back door for the athletic department, coaches, professors, pension departments, amazing health insurance. Incredible. Incredible retirement accounts. Folks, it's, it's a dream, some of these things. You're sleeping in your car. You're doing what you have to do to work two and three jobs. And yet on the other side of the program, these folks don't really seem to care because what are they, they focused on? Two things. Sign up for the next student loan. We had another physician come in. Right? Another physician walked in to the office. Very successful now. Junior partner at the, firm, at the uh, practice. Doing well. 75 student loans. What do you have to do? You have to consolidate. That's the only way to do it. You have to consolidate. When you consolidate those loans, you get one payment. Makes life much easier. Got it. So you're going to need to consolidate. The second thing you need to do is you need to sit down and say, look, if I'm going to consolidate these loans, if I'm going to reduce my my monthly, you know, writing 75 checks, he did it, he consolidated before he uh, had to start making the payments, right? then you got to ask yourself, there's got to be a problem here somewhere in the system. Who, who thinks this guy is going to be a good doctor? Somebody's counting on him. The federal government, they don't know who you are from Adam. They just know a social security number, write a check. So somebody has to be on the hook to make sure this guy is going to be a good doctor or she's going to be a good engineer. Because if you're the one that's teaching them then you better say, hey, this is, this is somebody we're going to put our, our money behind. I think the universities, in order to stay in business, are going to have to turn around either through their endowments, through work-study program, and a lot of universities do this, through a maximum, no more than $10,000 total in four years of student loans. Fine. You have a payment plan. It's not hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. You can, you can absorb it on a on a minimum wage job, you can absorb a $100 a month payment. Great. But you shouldn't be on the hook for tens of thousands. It's a shameful thing, you guys. And I don't mean from my point of view, but this is what those folks are telling me. They come into my office and they're embarrassed. Not because they didn't get a good grade. They, they love that. But they said, how did I ever fall for that? I feel like a sucker. I feel like I just... I just fell for something I shouldn't have fallen for. That's the, that's the normal reaction, not a, not a rarity. That's the normal thing. So be very careful when you try to sit and say, okay, this is part of my retirement, is to pay $1,000 in student loans for all three of my kids, right? You may have two or three or four kids that want to go to college. It used to be great news when they would say, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go to medical school. Hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go to law school. Hey, I want to become an engineer or get my master's or PhD, psychology. I'm going to be, and you're like, oh no, that means we don't retire till 75 years old, right? Finally, this is important. Uh, You may have promised to your your daughter or your son. Maybe there's a, a family connection to an alma mater, a USC, or everybody went to Stanford in our family, or, or everybody went to University of Texas, whatever it is, and, and that might be your thing. And you promised your little two-year-old, and you said it every couple of years, and then, you know, if you're 14 years old, and, and finally they get there, and they're ready to go to school, and you were laid off, or somebody passed away, or you were sick, and you couldn't work for a while. Or another 2000 or 2001, 2002, 2008, 2009, right? Another collapse in the market. And when that took place, it reduced your net worth. It reduced your retirement savings. Maybe even it, it eliminated their college plan, their fund. 
and their college fund is now zero. And you said, well, little Susie, I remember telling you that you could go to any school you wanted or that everybody in our family goes to this college or this university. But we don't have the money. Somebody is going to have to stand up in your family and not overpromise. You can't do that when there just isn't enough money. I understand the emotion, the feeling you don't understand. I'll work till I'm dead. I'll never retire. I'll never quit. That's fine. That's your own choice. Just know the math going in. And don't fall for some of these tricks that the universities do. Look, I don't think they're all bad guys and gals. Listen, I don't think that. But what I do think is that they're not telling you the whole story. I think they have enormous amounts of money, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. And if you feel like you're stuck paying fees on your retirement accounts that should be going toward your child's college, Those fees in the retirement accounts, if you put them in your child's college fund, guess what? Zero college loans, potentially. What what an amazing idea. Total Financial Solutions is here for you, folks. You can always get a hold of us. Let me give you our direct line at the office, 800-990-7344. That's 800-990. That's my office number, 990-7344. I'm Eric Hallaby. You're listening to the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. We're here every week. This time, give us a call. Join us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour, featuring Arif Halaby, president of Total Financial Solutions, designing higher income strategies with a conservative approach. Protecting your principal and your earnings while getting you reasonable gains and reliable income, making you confident of your retirement income planning. Arif Halaby has your answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.